and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Be finding Hebrews chapter 11 and when you found it, let me ask you a question. Imagine two letters that show up at the post office. One letter is impeccably typed. It is on incredibly beautiful linen stationery. It, uh, it is perfect, not a smudge, not a misspelled word, full of elevated language, cogently stated. And another letter is there in the same post office. This letter is written with pencil. It is smudged. It is dirty. It is full of misspelled words, but it has a stamp on it, and the first letter has no stamp on it. Which letter will be delivered? The letter with the stamp, right? Now, folks, some prayers are beautiful and eloquent and crisp, but they never get to heaven because they don't have the stamp of faith. And I want to talk to you about the prayer that gets delivered. Pray, believe, and you'll receive. Pray and doubt, you do without. The Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Not according to your friends, not according to your fame, not according to your fortune, not according to your feelings. Not according to your fate, F-A-T-E, but according to your faith, be it unto you. Do you know what these days call for? These days call for an earth-shaking, mountain-moving, devil-defying faith in Almighty God. And not only do we need to possess a faith, we need in these desperate days a faith that will possess us. I want to talk to you about uh, faith tonight. Archimedes was a mathematician and a physicist that lived in another age. But he said something remarkable. He said, if you will give me a lever and a fulcrum to place it on and a place to stand, he said, with that lever, I can move the world. Well, friend, I want to tell you that faith is that lever. The Bible is that fulcrum. And when we stand on Jesus, we can move both heaven and earth by believing in our Lord. Now, I want to talk to you about faith, and I am a learner, but I want to show you what God is teaching me about faith. Now, I want to talk to you just a little bit about what faith is, the definition of faith. Because you find it there in verse 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things 
not seen. Now, what is faith? Faith is not what the little boy said it was. Believe in what you know ain't so. <laughs> That's not faith. Nor is faith a feeling of optimism or a positive attitude. Now, I like a positive attitude. That's wonderful. I don't like to be around people with a negative attitude. <laughs> I know some folks who can just brighten up a room by leaving it. <laughs> did, you ever, uh, did you ever on the expressway get behind a, a person who expected every light to turn red or on, it, you know, in the traffic, and by the time they get there, it has? I don't, I don't like to be around those people. I like to be around people who are positive with a positive attitude, like Ed Young. He has one of those positive attitudes of any man that I know, and when I'm around him, uh, my spirit is enlarged, but he has something that goes beyond a, a positive attitude. It is faith. Now, he, the, the Bible says here that, that faith is substance, and that word substance is, is, in our English language, is very much like the Bible word that is used here. Sub, something beneath, stands, something beneath that you can stand on. Friend, faith is not smoke and mirrors. Faith is not walking around on eggshells and jello. Faith has spiritual steel and concrete in it. Faith is substance. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, when the Bible speaks of hope, it doesn't use the word as we use hope, like a, a girl may have a hope chest, hoping one day she'll get married. No. The word hope means rock, solid assurance based on a word from God. For example, the second coming of Jesus is called what? The blessed hope. That doesn't mean a blessed maybe. It means rock solid assurance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then he says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. There are things that are very real. I haven't seen them yet, but I have the evidence in my heart that they're there. And that evidence is what the Bible calls faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Faith is not just simply believing if I can believe strong enough, I can have what I believe for. <laughs> faith is not name it and claim it. No. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. That is rock-solid assurance based on a word from God. In order to have faith, you've got to have a word from God. It is the evidence of things not seen. There is an unseen world, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that in just a moment. But let's move beyond the description or the definition of faith. And let's think just a little bit about the dynamic of faith. Let me tell you what faith will do. Look, for example, in verse 3. The Bible says here, through faith we understand. Through faith we understand. You see, faith is the dynamic of spiritual wisdom. There are certain things that you will never know apart from faith. There is understanding that you will never have apart from faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You see, in the Bible, creation and the fact of God is never argued. The Bible says simply, sublimely, in the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. And uh, I, God is not explained or argued. The Bible just gives one half of one verse to atheism. The fool hath said in his heart, there's no God. That's all. The Bible doesn't argue the fact of God. God must be accepted by faith. This same chapter in verse 6 says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Let me give you some advice. Never try to prove that God exists. You can't do it. If somebody says to you, prove that God exists, don't endeavor to do so. The, the finite can never prove the infinite. The only way that you will know God is by faith, not by proof. You don't come to God head first. You come to God heart first. That's the reason science can never prove or disprove the existence of God or creation. It's by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. The only thing science can do is to deal with phenomena and, and events that are now in existence, and they weren't there when the world was created, and the creation has already passed. There's no way that science can examine it. Just as God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Answer if you can. Job wasn't there, you weren't there, the scientist wasn't there, and so forth. So don't ever try to quote, prove God, it can't be done. And if somebody says to you, well, just prove that God exists, just say, I can't. And then when he, when he smiles smugly, you just say to him, now prove that God doesn't exist. He can no more prove that God doesn't exist than you can prove that God does exist. He says, well, uh, yeah, but you, you are a believer. You just believe by faith that God exists. I said, that's right. And you're a believer also. You believe he doesn't exist. You're a believer and I'm a believer. The only difference is the evidence is on my side. <laughs> you know, by, uh, see, we have incredible evidence, not proof, but we have incredible evidence. All men are believers. Now, the atheist cannot demonstrate that there is no God. It's, it's not a matter of the mind. You say, I know an intellectual who believes or doesn't believe in God. Well, I know some intellectuals who do believe in God. I think Dr. Jerry Mines is an intellectual. You say, well, I know some, uh, some unlearned people who do believe in God. I know some unlearned people who don't believe in God. You see, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. He doesn't say it in his mind. He says it in his heart. Uh, it, uh, it's not a matter of, of, of the mind at all. It may show up in the mind, but it's really a matter of the heart. Uh, the Bible calls such a person a fool. Now, if God is the supreme fact, the man who denies the supreme fact is the supreme fool. Madeline Murray O'Hare, the famous atheist, has complained that we have Christmas and Easter and the atheist ought to have a holiday. Well, I agree, and I suggest April the 1st. <laughs> now, listen to me. Faith is the dynamic of spiritual wisdom through faith. We understand, number two, faith is the dynamic of spiritual worship. Not only spiritual wisdom, but spiritual worship. Look on down in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. And by the way, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. And if you displease God, it really doesn't matter whom you please. And the way to please God is to believe God. People say, well, if God is so great, why doesn't he prove himself? Well, believe me, God would have no difficulty proving himself if he wanted to. All he'd have to do is reach down, take the roof off this building and say, boo. 
You say, I believe. I mean, God could prove himself. Why doesn't God prove himself? I'll tell you why. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him, and God wants you to please him. You see, we, we need to understand that uh, God, faith, faith is not a response to what God can do. Faith is a response to who God is. You see, God wants you to love him, not for what he can do. He could prove himself. But God wants you to love him for who he is. That's the reason Jesus, when he did miracles, he didn't do miracles to buy fellowship. That wasn't the reason that Jesus did miracles. Oh, they, they attested to his deity, yes, and they were miracles of compassion. But many times when Jesus would do a miracle, he would say, don't tell anybody about this. This is not public relations. This is not magic to get a following. There are people today who advertise miracles and don't do them. Jesus did miracles and didn't advertise them. That's the reason when Jesus Christ stepped out of the glory and came to this earth, he laid aside all of the splendor, all of the majesty, all of the glory. Didn't lay aside his character and deity, however. And came down here uh, uh, through the portals of a virgin's womb was born in a smelly barn with cow dung and manure on the floor and flies buzzing all around, wrapped in coarse swaddling clothes. And don't get the idea, had you seen Jesus, you would have picked him out of the crowd. You would not have. <laughs> These artists paint Jesus with a dinner plate behind his head. He didn't have a dinner plate behind his head. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. Why did Judas have to point him out in the Garden of Gethsemane if he stood out? As a matter of fact, the Bible says when we see him, there's no form to come in us that we should desire him. In his appearance, he was nondescript. And he did not come to be dazzled people with miracles to get following. When he changed water into wine, there were those miracle mongers who believed in him when they saw the miracles that he did. John tells us in John chapter 2. But the Bible says Jesus didn't believe in them. For he knew man and needed not that any should testify what was in man. Later on, when Jesus fed 5,000, they followed him because they thought he was a walking cafeteria. Later, when Jesus turned to them and started talking to them about the eternal verities of life, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they left him like rats leaving a sinking ship. Jesus had to say to Peter and the others, will you also go away? Thank God Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. They're always the miracle mongers. They're always those who want to follow because of miracles. But friend, listen, you're going, to, you're going to know God through faith. You see, every rich man has a problem. I don't know it. Most of us don't know it. But here's the rich man's problem. Suppose there's a man who's extremely rich, as we say, filthy rich. And he has no heirs except a niece and a nephew. And they're constantly inviting uncle over to the house. And they say, uncle, uh, would you, could you come for dinner? Uncle, I fixed your favorite meal. Uh, uncle, uh, here, sit on the couch. Here's, here's a, a pillow for your back, uncle. And uh, uncle tells one of his corny old stories. And the nephew just pops his knees. <laughs> uncle, you tell the funniest stories. And then he says, uncle, would you like another piece of pie? Now, what uncle wants to know is, do they really love me? 
I mean, would they have me over here for dinner? Would, would he laugh at my old corny jokes? Would I get a separate, another piece of pie if I made $25,000 a year and that's all I had? Do they love me for who I am or do they want what I have? God doesn't want to buy you or bribe you or threaten you or coerce you or prove himself to you. God wants you to love him for his nature. And though Jesus laid aside all of that splendor and all of that glory, he did not lay aside his nature. And what is faith? Faith is a response to the nature of God. And when your heart is right, your heart will respond to God like my eye responds to that light when my eye is right. My ear responds to sound when my ear is right. And your heart will respond to God when your heart is right. And you will respond to the character and the nature of God. And that, my friend, pleases God. Amen. Now, Homer said some nice things about me when he introduced me. But suppose when he finished introducing me he said there's just one thing about adrian you can't believe him <laughs> now no matter what else you may say about god god is good god is great god is kind god is this god is that but friend if you don't believe god he that believeth not god hath made him a liar i mean if you don't believe god don't talk about the greatness of your god if you're not believing in that great God. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Faith is the dynamic of spiritual wisdom. By faith we understand. Faith is the dynamic of spiritual worship. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. And I'll tell you something else. Faith is the dynamic of spiritual wealth. Spiritual wealth. Listen in verse 6. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When God knows that you love him for who he is, not what he has, you'll get what he has. You'll get what he has. He's, uh, he, he, wants, he loves his children. He is a reward of them that diligently uh, seek him through faith. You see, by faith, man gives God pleasure. And through faith, God gives man treasure. Faith is the medium of exchange in the kingdom of heaven. According to your faith, be it unto you. There's a parable of some uh, angels, just a parable, a human parable, who came to the Father in heaven and said, Father, there's a mortal down there on earth, and he's sending petitions to heaven. And the Father says in the parable, and what did he send his faith up in? The angel says, well, he sent his faith up in a thimble. And God says, well, fill the thimble with blessings and send it back to him. And then another angel comes and says, Father, there's a mortal on earth asking uh, things of thee. And the father says, what did he send his faith up in? And he said, well, he sent his faith up in a hogshead, a great barrel. And God says, fill the barrel with blessings and send it back to him. See, according to your faith, be it unto you, faith is the, is the medium of exchange. Now, we've thought a little bit about the definition of faith and the dynamic of faith. Let's talk a little bit about the dimensions of faith. The dimensions of faith. I want to say several things about faith that I am learning. Number one, faith is not altered by appearances. Faith is not altered by appearances. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Learn this, there is an unseen world. God created two worlds. 
a visible and an invisible world, invisible world. Colossians 1 verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. He created a visible world. He created an invisible world. So learn this, there's more to life than what you can see, touch, taste, smell, or hear. And what you see is not the final word on any subject because there's another world out there. When I was a younger preacher down in uh, Fort Pierce, Florida, I was preaching a revival meeting out in a, just out uh, west of Fort Pierce, actually west of Stewart, Florida, out toward Indian Town. We had a wonderful meeting. Heaven came down our souls to greet and glory crowned the mercy seat. It was just wonderful. So we'd been fasting, praying, and, and it was Saturday night. And I was driving a little Volkswagen automobile. It's one of those Volkswagens, if you remember, it didn't have a gas gauge, but had a lever. And when you run out of gas in the main tank, you turn that little lever down on the firewall and there was about nine tenths of a gallon there and that would go and you could go the rest of the way till you got to the service station. I was already on the second tank and had forgotten it. And <clears throat> it was Saturday night. And I was driving back uh, to my church. It was about 11 at night, and it had begun to rain. And I was on that uh, dark road there out in the edge of the Everglades and the swamps. And uh, I ran out of gasoline. And I thought to myself, how anticlimactic can you get? I mean, I have just come out of this glorious revival meeting. People we've been praying for to be saved were saved, and, and it was just wonderful. And now I'm sitting out here out of gas, about 11 o'clock on Saturday night, it's raining, and it, there was an old bullfrog, pond, uh, bullfrog pond. We stopped, stopped near the pond there, and I really got aggravated the frogs because they were enjoying the weather so much. Old frogs in belly deep, belly deep, you know what I'm saying? Knee deep, knee deep, knee deep. And, and I, uh, I thought, what is this? And then I said, well, I, I know what I'm going to do. I, listen, my heart was so clean and so pure. I was so full of God. And I just, I just oozing with faith. I said, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to pray. Now, what do you pray in a situation like that? Well, one of the things I've learned about prayer is this. The prayer that gets to heaven is the prayer that starts in heaven. What you do is just close the circuit, right? I mean, prayer is, is not bending God's will to fit your will. Prayer is finding the will of God and getting in on it. Now, sometimes the will of God is very clear and very plain because the Bible says, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's the will of God. But the Bible doesn't say what to do on a, a road when your Volkswagen runs out of gas. I mean, there's no, no verse there. But still, you know, you live the life of faith and there's certain principles and so forth. And so I, I waited before the Lord to try to get that impression. And, and you know, we've all done that to say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this situation? And I really felt I had a word from God. I really did. And I, here was the word from God. I said, the Lord said to me, you pray that the first automobile that comes along will stop and pick you up. I prayed it over. I checked it out in my heart and my mind. I felt so clear about it. I felt that faith growing in my heart and my life. And I said to the Lord to lock it in. I said, Lord, if the first car that comes along stops and picks me up, nobody will ever, ever convince me it was not an answer to prayer. But I said, if the second or third car comes, I will not accept it as an answer to prayer. Now, I wasn't being picky. I just wanted to lock it in. So I waited. I saw this car coming. And, uh, you know, I rolled down the window and leaned out and smiled a little to help the Lord. And, <laughs> And he, he began to slow down and slow down and slow down, and he came right alongside of me and looked over at me, and I looked over at him. And then, friend, he put the pedal to the metal. 
And that car just disappeared in the rain and the inky darkness. The exhaust came up my nostrils. I watched those two red lights as they disappeared as taillights into the darkness. You talk about being frustrated because I believed God. I mean, I just knew that that car was going to stop. I said something that may sound sacrilegious. I said, well, never mind, Lord. I'll get the next one myself. <laughs> and uh, I stuck out my thumb. Boom. He went, boom, the next one. And they, they weren't stopping for a guy like me on a night like that. So I said, well, I can't sit here all night. Now, folks, I was miles from anywhere. But I had to get out. I said, it's getting late. It's, it's you know, it's, it's midnight. And I got out in the rain. I only had one fresh press suit. The one I was wearing, I was going to preach in it the next day. I got out in the rain, and a car was coming now toward me from the direction to which I was walking. He shined his lights on me, stopped, said, you need a ride, don't you? I said, yes, I do. He said, I came to get you. I thought, came to get me? Who knows I'm here? And then I looked at that car. You know which car it was, don't you? Number one. Number one. He said, I came by here before. I said, I know you did. He said, uh, I started to stop for you. I said, I know you did. But he said, I was afraid. I said, I figured that. But he said, I went down here to the crossroads. I said, well, let me ask you a question. It's a very important question to me. What caused you to come back and get me? You know what he said? Beats me. <laughs> 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 he said, something told me that I had to come back and pick you up. Friend, I wanted to shout, but I felt like kicking myself in the pants for getting out and getting my head wet. <laughs> you know, sometimes all of our senses, our sight, our sound, our smell, our touch, our taste, all of it, tells us, hey, you know, this faith business doesn't work. But there's a sixth sense, and that is the sixth sense of faith. Faith, friend, is the dynamic of spiritual wealth. Faith is not altered by appearances. Uh, you know, there is an unseen world, and we need to learn to live by that unseen world. Do you know, in times of temptation, do you know what's going to keep you with, if you see the unseen? Let me give you an example. In this same 11th chapter of Hebrews, the Bible tells about uh, Moses. And Moses chose, remember, to endure affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And how did he do that? The Bible says, by faith he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here's the riches of Egypt over here. Here's the reproaches of Christ. And old Moses looks this way and he says, all right, if I do this, I'll have pleasure and I'll have popularity and I'll have power. If I look this way, I'll suffer with the people of God. But wait a minute. Look up there. <laughs> Look at that. I'm going that way. You know what he did? He just saw the invisible. By faith he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know the Apostle Paul that Edwin spoke about tonight? Beaten, shipwrecked, Stoned, pickled in the Mediterranean. <laughs> and he says, our light affliction. 
is but for a moment. While we look not at the things which are temporal, but the things that are eternal. While we look at that which is unseeable. What, what, what's going to carry you through? Do you think that you're going to be in the ministry without being persecuted? No, friend. The devil hates you and all of the artillery of hell is leveled against you. And you better do what the Apostle Paul did. You better get your eye, dear friend, on that which cannot be taken away. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In, in temptation, friend, in trials. <laughs> And in trouble. You remember when uh, Elisha was at Dothan? Not Dothan, Alabama, but Dothan. And uh, the, the uh, Assyrian army was roundabout, and Elisha's servant went out there and, to reconnoiter, and he looked, and he came back in. He said, good night, Elisha. Uh, uh, all of the armies of Syria are all around us. Alas, what are we going to do? Oh, Elisha prayed, said, God, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he might see. And he looked, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about the man of God. Friend, let me tell you something. Faith is not altered by appearances. You better stop looking at what you see and learn to look at what you can't see, which is even more real. I am telling you, the unseen world was here first. Things that are seen are made out of things which do not appear. And the unseen world will be here last. That which is temporal passes away. That which is not temporal, that which is unseen is eternal. Faith is not altered by appearances. I'm going to tell you something else, friend. Faith is not fettered by feeling. Faith is not fettered by feeling. You say, well, I know it's going to happen just because I feel so. Well, you better stop living in the area of your feelings. I want to tell you that your feelings are the shallowest part of your nature, and God does his deepest work not in the shallowest part. And if you depend upon your feelings, uh, your experience is going to waver with the condition of your liver. Have you ever... Have you ever waked up some morning and had to preach and, you know, you know you've got to preach. You don't want to. You don't feel like it. You've got a dull headache. And you're halfway prepared. And you get there Sunday morning and uh, the choir sounds like a couple of calves dying in a hailstorm. <laughs> and the deacons don't deacon, the ushers don't ush. And you get up there and try and preach. You get your foot in a lard bucket and can't get it out. Have you ever done that? I mean, it, it, and you say, oh, God is a billion light years from here. And give the invitation, and heaven just comes down. Your feelings didn't have a thing in the world to do with it. I mean, sometimes you get up and you say, I don't feel like praying. I don't want to pray. I, I, I just think I'll wait later on. I'm just not spiritual enough to pray. 
Then later on, you go to the cabinet, the medicine cabinet, and you get a couple of Alka-Seltzer and drop them in a thing, and you know, plop, plop, and you drink that down. After a while, you get feeling pretty good, and you say, well, I think I'll pray. I think I can get through. I want to ask you a question. You think God was in those two tablets? <laughs> that has nothing to do with your faith. Some, don't get the idea that when you pray, you have to bring your feelings to God. Don't come with both hands filled with the brass of your emotions. Come with both hands filled with the incense of Jesus' worth. Believe God. Faith is not altered by appearances. Faith is not fettered by feeling. Faith is not limited by logic. Now, what we believe is not contrary to reason. Faith just simply goes beyond reason. When I was down at Merritt Island, the Space Center, I had a man come into my office one day. He drove a big white Cadillac. I could see it through the office window. I'd never seen him before. He's wearing a big big ring, big gold ring there with a big diamond in it. And he came in there in this very expensive suit and walked in there and said, Mr. Rogers, I need to talk to you. I said, all right, what do you want to talk about? He said, I, I wish you would talk with my wife. I said, well, what about her? He said, well, she wants to commit suicide and I don't want her to. Well, I thought that was nice. <laughs> and he said, uh, would, you, would you talk with her? I said, well, yes, I will. And I said, if you bring her in, I'll talk with her. But I said, you'll have to come. He said, all right. And he told me who he was. He was a, he was a big shot out there at Cape uh, Kennedy. He was helping to put a man on the moon. He had a, a very important job out there. He was a, kind of an intellectual. And so when she came in to talk with me, I found out why she wanted to commit suicide. Not that it's ever right. But this man was a wife abuser. He was an adulterer. He was a gambler. He was a profane man. He abused her verbally and physically. He neglected her and put her down, made her life miserable. He was a lout. So I turned to him, I asked him a question. I said, sir, I want to ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Now, I was not asking for information, I want you to know. I said, sir, are you a Christian? He, he just laughed. He said, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist. I said, an atheist? Well, an atheist is a man who says there's no God. Do you know there's no God? He said, yes. I said, well, that's very interesting. I said, let me ask you a question. Of all there is to know, do you know everything there is to know? He said, no one knows everything there is to know. I said, would it be generous to say you know half of all there is to know? He said, very generous. I said, well, then let's just say you know half of all there is to know, and you say you know there's no God. Wouldn't you have to admit the possibility that God might exist in that half of the knowledge you don't have? <laughs> well, he said, well, then I'm not an atheist. I'm a, I said, agnostic. He said, yeah, an agnostic. Uh, that just means doubter. I didn't tell him the Latin equivalent of agnostic is ignoramus. It's the same word in Greek, agnostic, uh, Latin, ignoramus. He said, I'm, I'm an agnostic. And I said, well, that simply means a doubter. I said, that means you don't know there's no God. You just think there's no God. You're just a doubter. He said, yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big one. I said, I don't want to know what size. I want to know what kind. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, there are two kinds of doubters. I said, they're honest doubters and dishonest doubters. Which kind are you? He said, what's the difference? I said, well, an honest doubter doesn't know, but he wants to know, so he makes an honest investigation. A dishonest doubter doesn't, want to, doesn't know because he doesn't want to know, and he can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman.
Jesus said, these men hate the light and will not come to the light because their deeds are evil. He said, well, I'd like to think I'm honest. I said, well, you claim to be a scientist. Would you like to put God in the laboratory and prove him? Well, he said, can't be done. Well, I remember what I told you about proving and disproving God, but listen to the question. I said, well, I said, if you get in the right laboratory, you can know. He said, what are you talking about? I gave him a verse from John chapter 7, verse 17, where Jesus said to the doubters of his day, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. And if any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He said, what does that mean? I said, well, sir, would you be willing to sign a statement like this? God, I don't know whether you exist or not. I don't know whether the Bible is your word or not. I don't know whether Jesus Christ is your son or not, but I want to know, and because I want to know, I'll make an honest investigation, and because it is an honest investigation, I will follow the results of that investigation wherever they lead me, regardless of the cost. I said, an honest man would do that. He said, give it to me again. God, I don't know whether you exist or not. I don't know whether the Bible is your word or not. I don't know whether Jesus Christ is your son or not, but I want to know him because I want to know I'll make an honest investigation. And because it is an honest investigation, I will follow the results of that investigation wherever they lead me, regardless of the cost. I said, an honest man would do that. He said, I'll do it. He said, now, how do I investigate? I said, all right, you've asked a good question. I'm going to give you a good answer. There's a book in the Bible called the Gospel of John. I want you to begin to read that book because it's written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believe and you might have life through his name. Now, I know you don't believe it. I know that you doubt that there's a God at all. But all I'm asking is this, that you say this before you begin to read. God, if you exist, if this book is your word, if Jesus Christ is your Son, if you will show me, I promise ahead of time, I will yield to you and follow you regardless of the cost. If you reveal yourself to me, he said, I'll do it. I knew he's a goner. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, he came back to my office, got on his knees, wept like a baby, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. <laughs> the last time I saw that man, he and his wife were sitting in that big white Cadillac holding hands like school kids. She didn't want to commit suicide anymore. That was over 30 years ago. I got a letter from him a while back. I lost track of him. He was up in Maine, has a tape ministry up there, working in a Christian school up there, serving Jesus in a little church in Maine. And he wrote me a letter and he said, you may have lost track with me, but let me tell you what's happening in my life and gave me a testimony. And then he said this. He said, Mr. Rogers, thank you for spending time with this general in the devil's army. Now let me tell you where that man's problem was. That man's problem was not in his head. It was in his heart. It only showed up in his head. Faith is not altered by appearances. Faith is not fettered by feeling. Faith is not limited by logic. What we believe is not contrary to logic. It just simply goes beyond it. Friend, by faith we understand things, and you can believe if you want to believe. Now let me just wrap this up by telling you how to develop faith in your life, the development of faith. Go on to chapter 12 and look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great 
so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now listen to this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now let me tell you here how faith is to be developed. Let me give you about four or five steps very quickly. Number one, you must be saturated with the Scripture. Saturated with the Scripture. Now this, this chapter begins with wherefore. And the wherefore refers back to an entire chapter on faith. Why was that written? To inculcate faith in your heart. For the Bible says in Romans 10 verse 16, uh, uh, 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's the reason to have faith, you've got to hear from God. The Bible is not first and foremost a book to be explained. It is first and foremost a book to be believed. Leonard Ravenhill said one of these days somebody's going to pick up this book, read it, and believe it, and the rest of us are going to be ashamed of ourselves. You must be, friend, saturated with the Scripture. Secondly, you must be dedicated to the Savior. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you know when you see Jesus, faith is the byproduct of seeing Jesus? I was watching these bridges over here crossing the St. John's River. What a beautiful city this is. And uh, if you needed to cross one of those bridges and you were afraid it might not hold you up, what would, what would you do? Would you just try to screw up your courage and bite your lip and clench your fist and with trembling start across there? Well, that'd be one thing you could do, but if you could just look at it and see it's made of steel and concrete and, and great automobiles and semi-trucks are rolling over it, I mean, when you look at it, then you don't have to worry about whether it's going to hold you up or not. You see, faith is the byproduct of seeing that bridge. Listen, it is not great faith in God that we need. It is faith in a great God that we need. Look to Jesus. Fill yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be dedicated to the Savior. And um, by the way, you know, it's not a compliment to call a man a great man of faith. I have a wife, and she's, she's the darling of my life. I love her. Called her today and said, sweetheart, I love you. Well, she's in Memphis. Well, Adrian, who, who's watching Joyce for you while you're gone? What do you mean? Well, Adrian, how do you know she doesn't have a boyfriend? While you're gone, how do you know she's, uh, she's not being unfaithful to you? I'm not, I'm not worried about it. You're not worried about it? Not at all. Oh, what a great man of faith. No, you missed it, friend. What a great wife. What a great wife. You see, that's what I'm trying to say. Listen to me, friend. It is, when, when, when you know Jesus, you're going to find that faith growing in your heart. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, you be saturated with the Scripture, you be dedicated to the Savior, and you be separated from sin. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You can't run a race with an overcoat on. You're in a race. That race is won by faith. And anything that is an impediment to your faith needs to be laid aside. Now, I don't know what the sin may be that you may be harboring in your heart and in your life, but I'll tell you what, it is not worth it if it costs the faith that you need to have in your heart. 
Sin in the heart is antithetical to faith. The Bible says, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. The Bible says, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. There's nothing more debilitating, stultifying to faith than sin in the heart. If you're having difficulty with faith, try repentance. That's the order, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. You see, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Be saturated with Scripture. Be dedicated to the Savior. Be separated from sin and then be motivated by the saints. Listen, he gave us his entire chapter, this 11th chapter, and tells us what God has done in the past. And we can, they, they're just up there in the heavenly grandstand cheering us on. And we're down here on the field, and they're, they're watching us. And old Abel is up there, and he says, Adrian, nothing but the blood. And old Enoch is crying out, Adrian, heaven's just a step away. And old Noah's saying, Adrian, run on. No disaster can stop you, my child. And Abraham says, Adrian, remember, nothing is impossible with God. And old Sarah laughs and says, and you're never too old for God. And then old Moses lifts up his rod. And old Moses says, there's no foe that can stop you. And there's no sea that can drown you. And old Rahab, she cries out. And she says, don't let your past hold you down. There's no sin so great he can't cleanse. There's no life so broken he can't put it back together. Friend, be motivated by the saints. And last of all, be activated by the Spirit. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Do you know the difference between faith and belief? Faith is belief with legs on it. With legs on it. It's more of a verb than a noun. Use the faith that you have, and your faith will grow. Let the Holy Spirit of God get you moving out. Do something tomorrow by faith. No, do it tonight by faith. Do something by faith. I was reading about how they built the bridge over that rapid Niagara that becomes Niagara Falls. And according to the account that I read, they first flew a kite over to the other side and let it fall to the ground with just a string. And on that string on the other side, they tied a cord and pulled it back across. And to that cord, they tied a rope and pulled it back across. And to that rope, they pulled a cable. And before long, they had a bridge. Why don't you, if nothing else, just begin to fly a kite to the other side? Use the faith that you have. May it be said of me, may it be said of you, that we believe God and we pleased God. God help us to do it. Amen.